Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> I just want to begin, and my voice is crackly. I'm not sure um, why, but I was chanting earlier today. <clears throat> um, I just want to start by acknowledging that we are sitting on the historic homelands of the Nisanan, Patwin, and the Northern Miwok tribes. And we're very grateful for the care that these tribes for hundreds and hundreds of years have taken to take care of this land. And, and it's a reminder that what this is all about is that we're interconnected, we're not separate, and we're connected to the earth. Um, and we're here to care for all living beings. So, um, so the title of my talk is letting life unfold in unpredictable ways from the mystery. And uh, yes, oh, thank you. I'm kind of nervous because last night I suddenly realized that I really didn't know what to say about that, in a way. There's something about the word mystery that is very important to me, and, had, and I chose that word because it felt like it was saying something that feels really true about what's possible for us in our lives, to let our lives unfold from the mystery. Um, but it's not like you can exactly say what the mystery is because we can't get outside of it to look at it and to see it. We're part of it. We're in it. It's all around us. And it also, I guess the word mystery for me um, feels alive and it's like something's happening. Something's unfolding. There's a mystery unfolding. And uh, somehow we're a part of it all. Um, and I, I was remembering way back in my 20s when I was practicing within the Christian tradition and studying Christian theology, and, and people would say uh, the mystery of God and what it would be like to live in relation to the mystery of God. And I remember back then I thought, gosh, I don't know if I really want to do that <laughs> um, because it feels scary to me and it feels like I would lose myself and uh, back then, I was kind of the, a humanist, thinking very naively that I could be in charge of my own destiny. And uh, so it was kind of a struggle for me. And I guess, I don't know, I just had to put on my sandals and keep walking <laughs> until I walked into Buddhism. And uh, so... Um, Maybe the word mystery isn't commonly used a lot when we talk about the Dharma, um, but I was sort of sensing that, that the mystery really is, in a way, space. That underneath, above, around, inside everything, there's space. And I even learned recently that, you know, you could look at it at the nucleus of an atom and around the nucleus is space. And so there's something kind of like awesome to 
even imagine this, that our lives are held in this, you know, vast and tiny everything space. And that the space is somehow opening us every moment in our lives because every moment right here, we're living together in space. Um, I don't know really what it is, but I know it's real now. I can say that this mystery of the Dharma, of the truth, is real. And um, I think in a lot of ways, we've heard this before, that that the space is what people call emptiness or, or suchness. You know, it's, it's, it's the activity underneath everything that opens. And we often use the word um, emptiness or space, but um, Francis Cook, who's a well-known um, I guess, interpreter of Dogen, he interprets emptiness to mean boundless openness. Boundless openness. Um, Maybe this is the mystery. This boundless openness that's available to us, it's already here. So then the question is still with us. What does it mean or how do we let our lives unfold in unpredictable ways into the mystery, into this boundless space. Um, Norman Fisher says, you don't need to create life, you just let it in, this boundless space. You know, what's, how does this happen? And this boundless space isn't just arbitrary, it's moving us, it's moving us in the direction of more freedom, more interconnectedness, and more um, care and relief of suffering. Um, so I, I'm just going to spend time because I realized, well, I might not know this answer. How do we let our lives unfold in unpredictable ways from the mystery? But Dogen has given us an answer in the Genjo Koan. And for some of you, maybe some of you know of the Genjo Koan. Um, this is in the fascicle that Dogen wrote in the 1200s. Um, and uh, we chant this regularly as part of our service. And um, in some ways, it offers us the essence of our practice and what our practice might show us about the answer to this question. So um, you all, many of you have heard this. But in the Genjo Koan, Dogen says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be realized by 10,000 things. So, you know, for me to study the self my understanding of what that means is probably the hardest part of this instruction. Um, Because it means that I need to be open to learning about myself, learning about things about myself that I might not necessarily want to know. And there is in all of us, I think, a part of us, we call it the ego, that wants to 
already know, wants to be sure of who we are, um, wants to hold on to what the truth is and what we want for the future. So to study the self involves, in a way, seeing what you don't want to see or seeing what you didn't even know was there. And this happened to me just this past week when um, I read in the newspaper that a new study has indicated that there are less people of color now dying of COVID than white people dying of COVID. And I read that and I went on and suddenly I could feel I was kind of strident just in the way I was walking, kind of strident. And and then in the back of my mind, I could see that there was a part of me that kind of took pleasure in that. And I was ashamed, I was shocked to realize that I had had that reaction. But this is studying the self. I mean, we're, we're taught to have bare notation, to let whatever comes, come, but it wasn't so easy. But once I could say, okay, that's one of your thoughts, Doralee, <laughs> it kind of eased and left. But the most important thing for me was that once that happened, I studied the self, something let go, and all of a sudden, compassion arose in me. I felt compassion for the people who were dying right now of COVID. And it's like, well, the compassion was always already there. It was my block, my hindrance, my selfishness, whatever you want to call it, that was blocking the compassion to come through. So um, the wisdom of studying the self. And Norman Fisher says, we have to become diligent students of our own mind. We study our minds in detail whenever we feel pinched, small, fearful, or stingy. When we feel clenched up with defensive and protective feelings, this is a practice we repeat over and over again. So we stand in our own way, but we can study this. And really, it's not like we effortlessly try to study this because this boundless openness shows us what's there. The, jewel, the round mirror begins to reflect back what's actually a truth of ourselves in the moment. Um, so to study the self, then, Dogen says, is to forget the self. So um, Dong Chan says, don't try to figure out who you are. If you try to figure out who you are, what you understand will be far away from you. You will just have an image of yourself. So to study the self is to realize this is just what's here in this moment and let it go, not hold on not turn away. So, um, 
in a way to let go of self, to let go of what who we think we are, I think asks us to let go of words, to let go of thinking, to let go of labeling. My teacher calls it designating mind. Um, we like to label things and say we've got it now, but to let go, this is the kind of practice to let go of self, is to let go of the wordedness of how we think we are, how we perceive the world. And in this letting go of the designating mind, um, at first it's pretty disorienting. Um, we can feel shaken up inside. We can almost feel like, you know, the, we lost the rudder of our ship. You know, something doesn't feel quite stable anymore. Um, but it's my sense that this is the entrance in to forgetting the self, beginning to let go of the self. And then this boundless openness can begin to come in. Um, because actually, whatever we think is going to happen or is happening, it's just not it. And if we keep holding on to things, thinking everything should be a certain way, you know, life doesn't happen. I mean, it, it's just the way life is, actually. It's, it's not the way we think it is. Like even this, this evening I was driving here and I was in my car on I-5 and, um, my mind was sort of wandering and then suddenly I realized the car in front of me was going much slower than I thought it was. And I put on my brake and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I better pay attention. You know, things aren't the way I thought they were. And in the next moment, the next, the car in front of me smashed into the car in front of it. I mean, it was just like that. And, you know, I've, I think everybody was okay from what I could tell. Um, but it shook me up because paying attention is really important and paying attention to what we think is supposed to happen and then letting it go. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was here to give meditation instruction and I had been told, well, these two people are coming and then this person's coming. And so I had in my count that, oh, there's four people. And I took the Zafas and the Zabutans and I put them in the library and I had this all figured out how I was going to introduce Zazen to this group of four people. And then a couple of people came early and then I had the thought, well, I better get some more. And so I went and I got four more sets of Zafus and Zabutans, arranged them all. And, and then more people came, 10 people came. And I had to go get another Zafu and Zabutan. And so everything was different than the way I had imagined it would be. Um, and, you know, life flows and this, you know, letting life unfold in unpredictable ways into the mystery is really, you know, what, what we're, what we're being asked to do moment to moment all the time. And it's only us that get in the way of this. Um, but even in that moment, I had to, um, notice, oh my gosh, I don't know. Am I going to pull it off okay? I'm not so sure about this. And um, But here's where our practice comes in, because I could remember my bodhisattva vow, which was basically a vow of service. I'm here to, to serve, and it's not going to be perfect. 
and I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to learn from them, but somehow that vow kind of released me into just being with what was happening um, and responding to what came forth. Um, So to forget the self, then, Dogen says, is to be realized by 10,000 things. To forget the self is to be realized by 10,000 things. I guess I want to pause for a moment because I'm, I'm wanting to say um, this, this truth of what's possible is possible for everyone. And even if, and we all have had times in our life where we are really struggling, where things are really difficult, um, I was struck by Huey Ning in the Platform Sutra. Even he said, my life often seemed to be hanging by a thread. My life often seemed to be hanging from a thread. And Zenju Earthland Manual says, we are made to be undone. So it's sort of like no matter where we are, (laughs) this practice of studying the self, studying the self to forget the self, to forget the self, to be realized by 10,000 things, this is the practice that brings in this boundless openness to continue opening our lives no matter what's happening. So I, I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, but... I I read about a young man who was extremely depressed and somehow he took himself to Nepal to, I guess, a retreat center there. And he ended up alone in some house and very depressed. And, you know, you could imagine how desperate he must have been. And he sat on this bed. And all of a sudden he sat on this bed and he noticed that his body was moving, and the next thing he knew, he was jumping on the bed, and jumping and jumping, and all this life energy was like rushing in. Um, And it was just amazing. It's like, again, this mystery entered in and opened up a doorway. Um, And even when we think about the fact that the world's on fire, <laughs> so many difficult things we're surrounded by in our world. You know, the recent Supreme Court decision, uh, Roe versus Wade, the January 6th hearings, the wars in, in Ukraine, the violence, you know, even here, we need to turn towards entering into relation with the mystery. Because it's only in this way are we going to find that opening within ourselves where we can be non-reactive, where we can have some calm, when compassion can still arise, when we disagree with somebody very strongly. Um, So letting go 
of self to be realized by 10,000 things, Dogen says, in order to learn the nature of the myriad things, you must know that although they may look round or square, the other features of oceans and mountains are infinite in variety. Whole worlds are there. It is so not only around you, but also directly beneath your feet or in a drop of water. Whole worlds everywhere are infinite in variety. And we're here letting go into the unpredictable turnings of our life, into the mystery. Uh, But we're letting go and we're letting the mystery come in and move us forward. Um, last, last week here, I was in the function of doshi and Sarah was doan. And I came early and the, and the doan is usually the person that sets up the altar. And I, that was sort of, Sarah was starting to do that, but I was here early so I offered to go help and go get our statue of the Prajnaparamita for the altar. And we wear gloves. It's a very much of a ritual for us to bring the statue in. And I brought the statue in, and I was standing here. And, and Sarah was, I have permission from Sarah to tell the story, by the way. <laughs> and uh, Sarah was rustling through different cloths in the back, trying to discern what would be the best cloth for the altar and to cover the platform for the statue. So so she had brought several things out and was trying it. And so here I was holding the statue and it's not light, it's, you know, it's wood. And um, so I I decided, okay, I'm going to intentionally sit in connection to the source. And I'm just, I'm not sit, stand. I'm going to stand here holding the statue while Sarah decides on the cloth. And so I was standing and, uh, um, you know, and I, I, and, and open, I felt open. But then finally this thought came through me, boy, she's taking a long time. And then I noticed that the statue I was holding was sort of falling like this. It was like, and I thought, uh oh. Um, and Sarah had put one cloth on. And so I put the statue on the side of the altar. And then something happened. I don't know what. I just walked over behind the the box that Sarah had now picked a cloth for. And the cloth was very big. It was very long and very big, too big for that without folds and real, you know, playing with it. So I stood in the back and my hand just started moving the material. And I moved it one way, and Sarah kind of moved it another way, and I felt like all of a sudden we were in this dance, and we became this dance of fixing this cloth um, for the altar and folding it, and it just seemed to come like it was like falling through our hands. And I remember at the end I walked around, and the edge of the cloth was completely even, and all the folds were just right. It was like perfect. Um, And, you know, we could say, well, what was that? Maybe the mystery at work? Uh, 
But it wasn't, it no longer was me and Sarah. It was something bigger that we were creating together. And the one thing that I learned, really many things, but um, this intention to, to stand in Zazen, connected to the source, and wait. And I realized I was actively waiting. I wasn't passively waiting. I was waiting, and I don't know what I was waiting for, but it felt like the door opened because I leapt out of myself over to the altar. And I feel like this, again, is the mystery that we're letting unfold our lives in unpredictable ways if we study the self, if we study the self to let go of the self, and if we realize ourselves in the 10,000 things, which is how life is coming forth towards us. So my encouragement is continuous practice. Sit on your zazen, sit on your zafu, Uh, But moment to moment in your daily life, we each can pause. We can intentionally connect with the source and wait. While we're studying the self and we're letting ourselves let go into the unfolding of the mystery from duality to non-duality, boundless offerings, our lives do not belong to us. They belong to the universe. So, listen. Sit zazen. Walk zazen. Open into zazen in each moment. And let's meet each other in the unfolding of the mystery. Thank you. So I'm open for just conversation. Maybe, you know, you've had other experiences that feel like living into the mystery. Uh, Maybe you have some questions. Um, Open to what you want to share. Thank you, Dorley. Um, you know, it's interesting how um, these our different traditions really meet uh. all the time. And I'm, I'm currently reading and um, in a discussion group about a book, and um, the author calls. It's called Wake Up to Your Life, and what he's wanting us to do is to wake up to the mystery of being, and it's a phrase that he uses all the way through the book. He's a very long-time Tibetan practitioner from, you know, one of those old guys that was in India and Nepal back in the 60s, Um, but he calls it the mystery of being, and he doesn't exactly come up with you know, a definition, because as you said, there just isn't a way to like define that 
um, because you're in it. But the interesting thing that, that came was to me interesting, um, when you were talking about um, to study the self is to forget the self. And part of what this book does is to make a real effort for us to, through meditation and through study, to identify habitual patterns, reactionary, habitual ways that we react. And that that is a way it occurs to me to forget the self, is to find those habitual patterns and to understand them and then mm-hmm. to be able to get beyond them yeah. and to not allow them to run our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that that was, for me, a, a, a new definition of forgetting the self mm-hmm. was was to, to understand those reactionary habitual patterns and to get beyond them. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it's so important that we really stay with a pattern and learn about it and study it, not just, you know, oh, there it is, let it go. Because it's the learning and the studying of it that then then it's really let go because we no longer are caught by it and have it be functioning on a more unconscious level. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Sarah. This is the night maybe we're telling stories on ourselves, but uh, I want to, this past week, or last two weeks, I guess, I had a, a, a real sort of insight in studying just what you're saying, and I hadn't even thought about it orally until I just heard your talk. But I was um, backpacking with some friends, and it was hot, <laughs> really hot. And uh, we had um, gotten back to our campsite, and we're setting up a lot of bicyclists. This was down in the Tennessee Valley near the coast, mm-hmm. um, the Marin Headlands, where we were. And um, as we were, we hiked into our campsite, and we were setting up, and there was a... Um, bicyclist who was camped right next to us and after we sort of settled in um he came over i was camping with uh, with my two girlfriends and uh he said he had ridden his bike all day uh from uh san francisco and he had not realized that there was no water in the campground mm-hmm. and so he's you know <laughs> really thirsty. He'd had like three liters, but he had drunk all three liters. And he asked us if we had any water. Mm. Now, we had also just finished our camp, but we had brought water in the car, but we were already a mile away from there because we had walked away from the car. And my two uh, companions immediately got out their water bottles and and refilled his water. And I didn't. I, I just sort of held back. And as I was uh, thinking about it the next day, I actually felt a lot of shame that I hadn't done what my two um, companions had done, which immediately gave this uh, person water who obviously needed it. And uh, as I was, I started to then to try to study what what was going on, why. Mm-hmm. And my first step was to get past my shame. Mm-hmm. That, that was really my first step. But I said there was something else going on there. And then I sort of, sort of 
as I was studying myself, says, you know, it's my need to control things. And I thought about, you know, that is a theme in my life, which causes a lot of suffering to other people in the process. And I was really, after I had sort of gotten to that point, it was like I had opened my hands and it was gone. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the shame was gone. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was like the aha. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, mm -hmm. that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your talk today. It just emphasized, I think, what yeah. I had, what happened to me this past week. It's wonderful to share that and be open and sharing that and your process especially. And isn't that, again, sort of the, the mystery that, you know, you went through that process of studying yourself and then all of a sudden something opens. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And opens into you don't know, too. It's like the openness is also, you know, another turn uh, into the mystery uh, that that you'll discover. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about your <clears throat> your story about um, or your confession about um, reading about um, the death rates among. Um, blacks and white from the pandemic and I'm reading this book uh, called Becoming Wild right now and, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a meditation actually or a it's not a meditation but it's a uh, discussion and uh, of uh, culture uh, the evidence of culture within animal groups various animal species and uh, through in-depth studies, for instance, in uh, sperm whales in the Pacific Ocean, they've determined that there are four cultural groups of sperm whales in the Pacific Ocean. And th th those four groups are composed of families, multiple families, but each, each cultural group um, and its associated families would never will never associate with the the other uh, group, you know, the other three groups. And uh, they have their own language, each cultural, each group has its own language. Wow. And, um, and they understand each other. And they, um, I don't know if they don't understand the other group, but they, they recognize the difference in the in the language of the other groups, and they have nothing to do with them. Nothing. They, they shun them. Wow. And, uh, wow. Yeah. So, <sighs> even sperm whales. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, this, this is really, yeah. it's got me thinking a lot about, you know, our, the depth of, of the issue, you know, of, of cultural racial affiliation. Um, it's it goes very deep and and apparently it's it's found in other species um, and it's not limited to whales either um, oh, right. <clears throat> so I, I don't know if there's a question in there but um uh i i think that um you know you demonstrated uh some some capacity that maybe whales don't have. 
you know, to say, hmm, is that right? <laughs> is that, is that, you know, that, you know, maybe they don't have that capacity to say, you know, to question, mm -hmm. to question their affiliation. Mm -hmm. And you did. Well, yeah, I guess I don't know how to respond exactly, except that like with shame or with those kind of gut reactions, you know, like um, pleasure at somebody else's suffering. I mean, ugh. I mean, it's there <laughs> in all of us on some level. I mean, these are the three poisons. And yet if we don't turn towards them and begin to work with that tendency in all of us, that's that's the beauty of being human, is that we can turn towards, we can learn and, and let go and open up into this larger space of compassion and connection. I mean, I read something recently like, you know, racism means that we suppress our own recognition of our own species. You know, whether you're a person of color or whether you're white, we're all the same species. And yet, we think that some people aren't of the same species, but we were, we suppress that knowledge because that's in our, in our bodies, the knowing of our own species. So, um, but yeah, maybe what you're trying to say is we, that's a gift of being human that we can turn towards ourselves and, and study ourselves and learn about you know, our hindrances and our patterns that restrict our ability to to be open and care for the world. I mean, that's that's an amazing thing that we've that we have as human beings. And you know, let, let's come together and, and help each other with that. Because uh, what could we? What kind of new culture could we create? I guess. Yeah. Karen. Thank you, Doralee. Um, this is just kind of a question of uh, clarification, I guess, about the 10,000 things. Mm. I usually think of the 10,000 things as all the things that I make up to do, you know, <laughs> in my oh. life. <laughs> but uh, may, it seemed like you were talking about the 10,000 things being, you know, to mean the vast complexity of the mystery. Yes. Uh, so, oh, that's curious then. I, well, I don't know then. <laughs> I guess I have to study more about 10,000 things. Um, yeah, it's, it's the infinite, it's the infinite complexity of everything. And, and it's everything. So, you know, there's a, I had, I had this to read, but Dongshan's um, No Grass, it's a koan. And uh, the, the priest says at the end of a practice period, you will go some in the east, some west. You must go where there's not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. But where there's not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles, how can you go there? Because going out the gate, immediately there's grass. I'd say even not going out the gate, still there's grass. 
it's life, life coming towards us immediately, everywhere, even before we go out the door because it's all inside too. And that life is what we're being asked to openly enter into and listen for what needs needs to emerge or evolve or happen. Um, yeah. So that that's that's the life. I guess it's it's like a the thing is it, it's the it's the happening. It's not like the mystery. It's the happening. <laughs> it's the life rushing in. It's then us meeting us meeting life as it comes in without the preconceived notions, without but of course all that's there too. So it's not like we can ever not have all of that, but we can be aware of that and you know, the rush of the new coming in. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think it's related to um Dharma gates are boundless? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello on Zoom. Anybody there? <laughs> oh, hello on Zoom. <laughs> no. Barbara? Barbara? Thank you. Thank you for your talk, Doralee. Beautiful. Um, I've been making a study of the Genjo Koan recently, and, and I, the line or the stanza that I think is really pertinent to your talk is um, conveying oneself toward all things to carry out practice, enlightenment is delusion. All things coming and carrying out practice, enlightenment through the self is a realization. Think that, um, uh, that opening up to the mystery is not seeing the self as self, but is allowing the 10,000 things, the myriad of things, the net of things to come forth through you. That's, that's perhaps the mystery. That is very well said, and that sort of resonates what felt like happened with Sarah and me. You know, something came through. Uh, there, there was that opening, the Dharma gate opens, and then something comes through, you know, that's beyond our individual selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think we've all had instances where it's as if you are standing aside and life is coming through you. Dharma is coming through you. And um, those can just happen in the blink of an eye and notice those. Hmm. That is that is an indication that the mystery is there right now. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go out looking for it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes, yes. So, yeah, right. It's like every moment it makes something. Maybe you could mute for a moment. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we miss the moment. And it's because it may seem too little or too, you know, 
ordinary or something like that. I mean, um, you know, I was just this moment of talking to my friends and saying, oh, we missed June 19th, you know, I really feel bad about that. I wished I'd paid attention. And then all of a sudden, there's music coming from this park. And we walk over, and it's a June 19th celebration. <laughs> it was just, you know, we followed the music. That was it. Yeah. I don't know. Anyone relate to what Barbara's saying or feel? Take that in. Thank you, Barbara. Uh, I don't know. Meg, did you have your hand up? Oh, okay. That's interesting. I. It's, it's something that I. Um, I've always struggled to find words for. Um, in my. Um, I've kind of moved back into other traditions and, and kind of come up with the word grace. Um, mm. But I like the language you've used today um, because it, it really is. It's, it's sort of, um, uh, it's Buddha's way. It's allowing us to be moved and move in the moment without us controlling that. And trusting that we'll be where we're supposed to be, hmm. uh, which isn't necessarily where we plan to be. Oh, um, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and trusting in that is not always easy, but I know in my work, it comes more easily than it does in my personal life. But, um, to sort of trust that things will unfold as they are supposed to. If I don't get in the way. (laughs) And that's part of knowing myself and then letting go of that so that I can do that. So I really appreciate um, the language language you provided around this tonight, um, around the mystery and the fullness of being. Uh, Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Thank you, Meg. You said to realize that wherever we are, that's where we need to be. And to then be open, to listen, to see what's happening. Oh, Larry. Hi there. Thank you for your talk. A couple of things. One just just struck me, just as you you were saying those last things. You were speaking more Genjo Koan. Maybe you didn't realize it. Did you say, what did you say something about just to be where we are at the... Uh, yes. So that's another line from Genjo Koan. Oh. Well, when we find our place so, right uh, where we are, yeah, practice occurs, actualizing mm-hmm. the fundamental point. That's true. That's exactly what you were saying. Well, that's what Meg was saying. And that's what Meg was saying. Mm-hmm. But the, the other thing is... Um, I think it's something that we each, it's personal to us, how we, uh, you know, turn the light back, look within, and find our own particular discriminations, 
so that we can transcend those discriminations and be open to what is. That's what you're expressing, I believe, and, and, and I appreciate that, that teaching. Now, um, you use a word, mysterious. Mm -hmm. It has a meaning to you, mm -hmm. and that's great. I have a whole different way of approaching mm -hmm. the, the, that, that um, uh, so, so, the, so the point is everybody, you know, it's not necessarily the word, but it's, it's the looking within and, and, and seeing the discrimination, like Sarah so beautifully described. So, so I use ordinary mind. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, maybe it has a different connotation, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's me. It's what works for me. Mm -hmm. So uh, it doesn't have to be like a major, you know, like a, Sarah was describing, you know, the shame of the moment. And it was, uh, these, are, these are moments of, you know, they pass, but they're temporary moments of crisis of, that, we, that we have. But it could also be that you turn the light back at even the most subtle, little, non-consequential discrimination that's not a crisis, mm -hmm. but you can turn and look and, and see that. Mm -hmm. And so I share what you're trying to express, but for me, I, I call it uh, mm -hmm. ordinary mind, just to see those subtle things, let go, and then just be in, uh, you know, try, you know, uh, just be, but just what is, just what, just what's there, nothing special, mm -hmm. you, you know, but I think we both are expressing the same thing, just mm -hmm. in a way that is personal to our right. practice. Right, yes, that's, that's so important to really say that, you know, the languaging can be different for, for all of us, that, that is saying the same thing, because it's, it's sort of under the words, and, it, and the words are, you know, are beyond us too. But thank you because, you know, I also was going to share the colon, ordinary mind is the way. This <laughs> 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 is right here. <laughs> Zhao Su asked Nanquin, what is the way? Ordinary mind is the way. Shall I direct, shall I try to direct myself towards it? If you try to direct yourself toward it, you will move away from it. If I don't try, how will I know it's the way? The way is not concerned with knowing or not knowing. If you truly arrive at the great way of no trying, it will be like great emptiness, vast and clear. <laughs> Ordinary mind, thank you. Mm -hmm.